Welcome to episode 99 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer, Johnny Pham. Guys, we've got a big show this week. We've got a couple of small fantasy topics we're, we're going to start off with, but we've got a fun divisional weekend of, of football on deck. We had a very fun wild card weekend on deck. I mean, Dalton, what, what, what was your your favorite moment or like a moment that sticks out to you from wildcard weekend live betting chargers at plus 1700 at half of 25 dollars exactly what i was gonna say live <laughs> betting for all yeah. the favorites like the heavy favorites like live betting the Bengals, the bills when they're favorited by so much very stressful but it was fun to fun to live bet well live betting the bills uh to do much of anything besides win by three did not work out did not work out nope. but it was a fun weekend it was. I mean, the that Jaguars uh, Chargers game. Dalton said plus seventeen hundred. I think I saw it got to was it plus twenty eight hundred, Johnny? It, it, it might was, have in the third quarter when they the Chargers had a drive. Yeah, it, 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 it was, was something like that. I think almost three thousand. Which is just. I, I wonder what the longest odds have been for an in game comeback before in in an NFL game like that. I, I wonder what it was for the Super Bowl with, with the Patriots and Falcons. Like that, that is the one that feels pretty comparable. But man, I, I mean, the funny thing is though, as soon as the Jaguar, because the Jaguars scored before half, right? Like the Chargers yeah. went three and out. The Jaguars scored before half. We were all like the three of us, were like okay, like like they like they could actually come back, and it's just so Chargers to blow that lead. And it's so chargers of Brandon Staley to say, well, we didn't get out coached in the first half. It's like, well, guess what, buddy? You guys are sitting at home because you're up 27 to zero and, and couldn't hold the lead. And, you know, this wasn't like the, the chiefs and Colts back in the day where you have Jamal Charles get hurt. You have guys going down left and right. Dwayne Bo get hurt. Yeah. Dwayne Bo gets hurt. Like you have no receivers left, no running backs. It's like, nope, everybody's still healthy. You just can't run the ball at all. With Austin Eckler, well, except um, Mike Williams, he, he, and yeah, Mike Williams not healthy. That that was a uh, last week problem, and yeah, so probably enough about the Chargers. But we we can only hope for as entertaining of a weekend this weekend in every game, but the Chiefs game. We'll I was going to say it's <laughs> nice and boring. Saturday three of a short two hour game, in and out, real quick, nothing crazy. You know that Bills Dolphins game was maybe the longest non-overtime NFL game I've ever watched in my entire life. And I almost, it, it, it was too much work, not enough time situation for me this week. I almost went and clipped uh, like a five-second video of a ref calling a delay of game and just leaving the podcast silent in an intro for like five seconds. Because, I mean, Miami got called for like four or five delay of games. And, of course, the one on fourth and half a yard where they could have picked it up and kept driving to maybe win the game, a delay of game. Do you guys ever see McDaniel's explanation for kind of what happened there? Did either of you see that? I don't think no. I, the group. Was it? I did. Yeah. So the, their coaches in the press box thought they had a first down. And so they told Mike McDaniel that they had a first down. And so they were getting a first down call ready later realized, oh, it's fourth down. And so they were just late getting the call in because they thought they had a first down. Yep. And they so had, like, just, different personalities yeah, here. And then yeah. Just... 
which I mean would explain a lot because like they were out there in a pistol and like that that play if they did get it off was going to be a ne- negative four yards like that it was going nowhere. But well, that Bills Miami game especially was probably some of the worst football I've made myself watch a playoff game. <laughs> it was close, which meant it was interesting, but it was just it was bad football being played all around. I mean. Skylar Thompson might have been playing better than Josh Allen at some points. His receivers just weren't catching balls. Yeah, and even though his receivers let him down plenty, he also like wasn't playing well. His receivers had some drops, but he was like eighteen of forty five. I don't know yeah. the exact stats, but it, it was less than fifty percent. So we it, didn't it, even get Mostert. Clearly better than Jeff Wilson with yeah, that they, performance. Jeff Wilson put up. They they needed Raheem Mostert out there. I mean, he's the reason, a big reason besides their defense, why they were able to squeak by the Jets. What was it, nine to six? on on a trio of field goals to even get into that game but you know what good thing for the Bengals and the bills is last week is with the mulligan and now they get to play each other and hopefully for both of their sakes that they both play better but we, we can't move on to to divisional round and you know a fantasy topic quite yet without me giving you guys each like 30 seconds to mourn your Tampa Bay Buccaneers right like like we have to we, we can't let that one just go I think we can. I think everyone's kind of over it by, like, the first quarter. It was just not even that big of a deal. Like, yeah. everyone kind of knew that was going to happen, you know. It's just, I think the grass changed. That <laughs> nobody saw Dak was going to be playing this well. There's no shot that you knew that Dak was going to play this well. Well, against the trash Buccaneers, it, it's not. it's not too surprising. Now... Will he do it this weekend? We will see, and we will talk about that later. But first, Dalton, before we get into next week's games, I did want to at least try and get a fantasy topic at the beginning of all of these shows, one that I thought was good for today before we get too far away from the regular season, is let's just talk about a couple of players whose fantasy finish wasn't really indicative of the ride. The whole season, like, and what that means, you know, pretty self-explanatory. But a guy who finished as a top twenty-five, top thirty receiver or or quarter or, or receiver or running back, excuse me, or you know, top ten uh, or so quarterback and tight end, and it may have been some big games propped him up, maybe touchdowns, you know, in certain weeks and a lot of weeks they weren't startable. Just when we look back, we need to have this context as to how this player actually got to this endpoint. And Dalton, I'll let you start us off with your first player you want to highlight on this short list. Well, my first player is actually in the top 10 of wide receivers and was probably one of the shakiest top 10 performances I've seen at the position. And it goes to one of the sketchiest wide receivers in football for fantasy scoring. It is Amari Cooper. Uh, His trajectory this season was so up and down and we're not even getting a look back from analysts yet saying, oh, what a good season, because it's so clear that the, the ride was horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it usually of, is with Cooper. I feel like yes. Cooper could be like a mainstay on this list every year, even even in his years where he was like a top five and now 10 this year wide receiver. Well, what's funny is 10 of his 17 performances that we're counting in this sample were outside of the top 30. So he had seven games inside the top 30, which I would call seven startable weeks for you. And then he had 10 games outside of this top 30. But what makes this drastically worse is he got way worse when Deshaun Watson came back. And the entire offseason talk was, 
well, Amari's probably going to have a rough start, but you're getting him at a discount. And once DeSonic comes back to the Browns, you're going to have like a playoff hopeful. Yeah. Um, and it was the complete opposite. Uh, once Jacoby Brissett got benched, Amari Cooper's entire ride and his entire season got worse. He had four straight weeks without double-digit scoring and without a touchdown, and the Browns' offense as a whole dropped off. So I think he deserves probably the top-ranking mention on my list and is definitely on the do-not-draft next year. So I, I I totally agree with that. And like I said, Cooper, it just feels like that's just his ride every year. He He's just... Not only was the quarterback situation, whether it was just the inconsistencies of a good backup quarterback, but not starter level quarterback, or just Deshaun Watson being flat bad for 75 to 80% of the time. He was good in some of the last game that he played, basically. But that's about it. Um, Like outside of the quarterback issues, like Cooper himself has just been inconsistent. That's just always been his MO. So not a surprise and he's gonna have you know another another year of wear on the tires another year older for a guy who's gone through a lot of injuries so yeah i i'll be very curious to see what the the browns as a whole what their values are cooper is obviously high up on the list if they don't bring in another big time receiver in the draft or free agency because like cooper's gonna he's gonna be the one and what do we think of the offense it'll be it'll be a a fascinating discussion all offseason uh, yeah, I just think avoid all the Browns not named Nick Chubb. It's going to be a good offseason take for me. Yeah, can't can't say I blame you. A, a guy that I wanted to talk about, nobody will be surprised by his inclusion on the list. And this is partially a I want to talk about his season this year and partially kind of like what you said with Cooper. I want to tell people I don't want to draft this guy. Gabe Davis. Next year, it is Gabe Davis. <laughs> I knew he was going to be on your list. Is the first thing on my list. You know, he's the wide receiver 28. That's in 14 games. It's so weird. I, I have a, a bangle as my next guy. It's like I had to keep double-checking, okay, is this stat out? Do they include the points in the in the six minutes? Okay, no, they don't. So and I had to keep double-checking, like, okay, do his averages, like, Boost up any higher. Actually, his average is down at wide receiver 33. So that hurts him a little bit if you just do average because guys like Debo, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Cooper Cup, uh, bump ahead of him in those ranks. Like he averaged 10 points a game. He's a top 30 receiver. I, first of all, I think we were both correct in our Gabe Davis stance before the season, which our stance was we really have no stance. We're in the middle. We're not like insanely low on the guy like some people are but we're not telling you to draft him as the wide receiver 18 like some people I mean I think to. we both had a mid to late 20s which yeah, is where I, he finished yeah exactly he even though he wide receiver 28 averaged 10 points a game like on the surface like yeah like that's a guy he's locked into my lineup I feel good about him he scored single digits in 9 of his 14 games this season he was fewer than 6 points 6 times this season, I mean, Dalton, as somebody who had Gabe Davis on on their team all season, did you ever feel comfortable putting him in your starting lineup uh, after the Pittsburgh game when he was wide receiver one for a week? <laughs> uh, but I mean, the joke is in that playoff performance he had in the first week of the playoffs, he finally blew up again, and uh-huh. I'm sure nobody was starting him exactly at that point. And the maddening inconsistency. It's not, like one of the big conversation topics of the offseason was, will Gabe Davis have a good target share? He had a really good target share. His problem was he was dropping all of the targets, uh, which is incredibly frustrating when you have the wide receiver two connected to the QB two in mm-hmm. the NFL. 
he did like his target share was fine. So on on the regression candidate show that just Johnny and I did, I think it was the week after the Chiefs game. So it was after week six. Gabe Davis was on that list. And my thing at that point was like, this dude has 14 catches and four touchdowns this season. Like that is not going to continue, which it obviously didn't. And he was on pace for like 83 receptions, which if he was going to get to a thousand yards, that would have been like the least. And I don't know how long he was basically on pace to, to have the Michael Hartman amount of targets. He upped it by like 10 and he missed some games. So it was a little bit more than that, like on the whole, but he ended up with 93 targets in 14 games. So like pretty good, but you would think looking at this receiving group, like if I told you before the season, that or if I told a Gabe Davis lover before the season he finished with 93 targets, they would think, Oh, well, they signed Odell Beckham Jr. or they signed somebody else that came in and, and took work from him at the end of the season. But he was just never really able to command targets on a consistent basis. I mean, he had seven targets in a game twice this year, and he and one had of was week 18, if you're counting that, yeah. And one of, yes, I, I am. And, and one of one of those was when most people weren't playing anymore, and and he had, I think it's five receptions he only did that a couple of times like five or more receptions the dude was like pretty consistent to the three the four reception guy and it's just sometimes it was for 30 yards sometimes it was for 150 yards because he had a 99 yard touchdown and sometimes like he had a game where he was two catches 15 yards and a touchdown because his target share like it has every year goes up in the red zone because he and josh allen have a very good red zone of rapport between the two of them. But I mean, even with the touchdowns regressing, regressing, he's a 14 and a half percent touchdown rate, which is 13th in the NFL. He outscored. If you're looking at PPR, cause that's a player profile uh, does in these stats, his expected points per game would have landed him as the wide receiver 44 in PPR. He was the wide receiver 36. So he even outperformed probably what he should have on and that, that volume, hundred percent. Yes, yes. That that was the pit game for sure. The ninety-nine yard touchdown. Basically, you can boil it down to to that play. Um, I just if they bring in a receiver who's who people are excited about, his draft stock isn't going to be as high. But I just think if they bring nobody else in, he's going to be drafted around that same range, like a top twenty to twenty-four receiver, and. I, I, I just don't I just don't want that. Like Gabe Davis to me, even if they don't bring in another receiver, he's on the list of guys that he's not gonna lose his job because his role is very different from like Khalil Shakir. But a year from now, could we be could we be talking about Shakir being the second best receiver on the Bills if they don't bring in anybody else? Like I think it's possible because I think Gabe Davis is a limited receiver but he's good at what he does but what he does is is going to give you inconsistent fantasy results because he's a deep threat big play guy and he he is very good at like the toe taps on the sidelines like making those like in tight spaces along the sidelines type of catch he's very good at that too and he's not just a deep threat because he gets more receptions than like uh, Marquez Marquez Valdez Scantling but I I, I don't want to miss my wide receiver two or three on my team next year I just don't well, I think that if you were a Gabe Davis truther or supporter coming into the season, part of your argument was he was going to get better and he was going to make improvements. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any either of those were evident. I mean, he's still a hand clapper. He struggles catching the ball. He struggles tracking the ball. What he's good at is getting in the red zone and being a deep threat, which mm-hmm. are very good things with Josh Allen. But, I mean, he's going to be your quintessential better and best ball player because he's going to have those 
you know, those pit games where mm-hmm. he gets three red zone looks and he converts three of them. But I mean, in a redraft or a dynasty league, I think he's going to be a very frustrating player to start and definitely not a guy that you want to be consistently relying on week to week. Yeah. And I'll, you know, talk about this more when we talk about the bills in a bit, but the Dolphins basically said, okay, we are going to completely blanket Stefan Diggs. You have one target in the second half last week and make anybody else beat us. And they did, but barely through drops and, you know, missed deep shots and, and all of that stuff that the Bills did barely pull it off. But if Gabe Davis was a better player, that strategy would have less success than it did last week. And, and that strategy wouldn't be tried if, if he were a legit Number two, I, I think we'll find out that the Bills aren't happy with him being their second best wide receiver. That That's what I think. But going off what we know now, I don't want him next year. And if you had him this year, you hopefully got lucky and started him at the right time. Otherwise, he burned you nine times for single digits, six times for less than six points. Yes, I agree. Um and talking about a player that I think I'm going to want next year, but I think he's going to have a polarizing offseason, is jumping in the next guy. Uh, I think Travis Etienne is a player who his mm-hmm. ride was significantly worse than his outcome. Yeah, because you know, he, he was on fire for, for a hot minute there. Yeah, and I mean, he finished the season as a top 20 running back in PPR, but to start the season, he has four straight games outside of the top 20. Um, to end the season, and this is where the revisionist history gets scary, in the playoffs, he scored double digits all three weeks. Mm-hmm. So he very likely, if you still had him, he was winning you weeks. But if you go back to our you know, players you might want to drop episode, Travis Etienne was a player we talked about for a while where we were wondering whether or not he was going to be getting the workload in Jacksonville. And the middle of the season, he looked really good. He came on. The Baltimore game is really the only you know stain on that resume, and he left the game injured. So it's not mm-hmm. something that we're going to hold against him. But – I think if you look at his end of season results, he ends up with a 78% snap share, but he has less than 50 targets, which is where he does the work. And I think, and I said this in the group chat, um, Trent Balky, the GM for the Jacksonville Jaguars has drafted a running back every year, going back to his time with the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think it's out of control to think that a, he, a running he back has, but drafted. like, like we're, you know, they drafted, was it Snoop Connor? Snoop draft. So it's year. like they could draft a guy and he's very insignificant. Or they could draft a guy in the third round who is not insignificant. We, we, Absolutely. we don't know. We don't know. Um, and my concern is that, I mean, they're bringing in, I think the first pick of the draft for the Jacksonville Jaguars is likely going to be an alpha wide receiver. Never mind. They have an alpha wide receiver in <laughs> Calvin Ridley. They, they, um, they still may draft a receiver. But you're going to have Christian Kirk. I I expect to have an Ingram back. And then you have Calvin Ridley in this room. I think earning targets from Trevor Lawrence is going to be at a premium for Travis Etienne. Doug Peterson's never targeted running backs at a high. It's not the offense he runs. Um, so I'm not projecting that he's not going to be a guy I want next year, but I'm going to be really concerned if he starts sneaking into that top 15 range, which I think is where we're hitting a ceiling. And it's, it's pretty revisionist when we look at his season. When James Robinson was there, he wasn't used that often. And I know they traded him, but I could see them just as likely bringing somebody in. There's a huge free agent market at running back. It's 10 times better than wide receiver this offseason. And I just don't want us to paint roses and pictures about the end of his season where he could have won you a lot of games with an 11 11 and a 21-point outing. But the rest of his season was really rocky for a lot of it. 
Yeah, it was. You 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 hit all of it very well there. He started off basically unstartable, and then he, he had the one week where it was like, oh, it's a takeover happening, and it's very possible that most people didn't even start him that that second week when it happened too, because a lot of times when a guy goes multiple weeks where he's not the guy, we need to see more than one week of him actually being the guy before we start him, unless we have injuries on our team. So he probably. I would say he's a guy that even though he finished really well, it may be the fantasy manager started him like six times and was happy with it because he did have that rough stretch toward like the, the latter. It was like the, from the 50% mark to like the 75% mark of the season. It, it was, it was definitely a down stretch for him, which felt bad because he was like one of my buys on the trade deadline show yeah. and did not work out, did not work out. If you made the playoffs and you bought ETN, he paid off. But yeah, it it was up and down. And it it's unfortunate that we didn't see him get more passing game work. I mean, we talked about this on our preseason predictions kind of recap last week. It came down to week 18 for him to get through his yardage prop of two two nine nine and a half receiving. And we and thought that was when we won the hammer. We the thought before the season, I don't remember my exact words, but I think that was like my lock of the century. Yeah, like I believe lock, so. lock of locks. Like I was all over that. Like, yeah, there's just no shot. This doesn't happen. And it, you're right. And you're almost, right. <laughs> I was right, but it sure almost did happen. I would not, oh, yeah. I was not expecting it to go clear the week 18, even if the dude missed time because he was a great pass catcher in college and just hasn't been used like that yet. So yeah, the, their off season will be very interesting, and I would imagine he's going to be a a second round pick. He, he's yeah. going to be a guy that gets taken high, which feels a little rich. I think we're doing a little bit of the DeAndre Swift revisionism with him, where we're like, "Well, he has it, so we think he's going to do it." When we haven't seen it on the field, yeah, a, a guy that has done it did again this year, but was probably very frustrating, even for as good as he like. Um, but Joe Mixon's case for this list is so weird because if you just look at his game log, it's like he has so many games between nine and 15 points. He doesn't have hardly anywhere. He just truly killed you. It's not like ETM where the valleys were truly, truly low. But, you know, he was a first round pick. You, you just want your first round pick to do more than score between nine and 15 points in like 10 of the 14 games he plays. Like he's the RB nine in, in half point scoring. He's the RB twelve in weeks or in weeks one through sixteen, I think. Um, the Bengals like they didn't really fix their offensive line, even though it seemed like they did. Like before the season, PFF had them as a top ten offensive line. They finished the season. I don't know if you saw this, Dalton, as PFF's twenty eighth ranked mm-hmm. offensive line. So they they just flat out it, the problem just wasn't fixed again this season. It didn't really hurt Mixon's efficiency, excuse me, but it didn't like he didn't have this efficient season like we were hoping for because he he had light boxes and a good offensive line. He number one, their offense started slow, and the number two that he just didn't have room. Still, he, even down the stretch, didn't have room. He was basically the same yards per carry as last year with a lot fewer touchdowns. The difference, how he made up for it, was seventy five targets and 60 receptions, both career highs, I believe, for him this season. But the thing with Mixon is, like, how many weeks did he really win you this year? I count one, his 53-point week. 
One. Also, the week Johnny played him against me right after trading for him. Yes. For anybody interested. His 53-point week where he had about 20% of his rushing total rushing yards, probably more like, like 18 to 17% if I really did the math, but had like 153 rushing yards. He had four of his seven rushing touchdowns on the whole season in that one game. So, like, yeah, you, you won that week, but he wasn't the difference maker that you paid for with a first-round pick throughout the season. And then as we kind of forecast ahead, you just kind of worry a little. Like, I think Mixon probably has one more, like, pretty awesome year left. But this year wasn't what I would have hoped, and you just get more more doubts in your mind as the guy keeps creeping up in age. And th- this year was just a, a, a slight drop or maybe not even a drop off, but a slight drop off and just not quite what we'd hoped for this year. Well, and I'd have to look at the, the game logs themselves, but the one game Samaj P. Ryan played where Joe Mixon was out, I would expect he added a significant value to that team. He played really well mm. and it led to him getting a greater snap share. And that, I mean, that really did take a lot of his value later in the season is one of the reasons he was drafted so early is he's a workhorse on a top 10 offense. You want those guys. And suddenly he wasn't a workhorse. We Mm -hmm. talked about him getting a closer to a 60-40 snap share. He was taking out a lot of the pass game work. uh, And those things became very frustrating. And the the other expectation with this Bengals offense was that they were going to see more cover two. They're going to have to do some more shorter passing, and that was going to lead to more targets for Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. And that and didn't it, happen it, either. It, well, the more targets did, but the the issue was he only had seven rushing touchdowns compared to thirteen. Yeah, last season. So all that did was just make up that difference, not elevate his status. I mean, and and he didn't make it up because he finished lower even on a points-per-game basis than he did last season. I mean, P. Ryan, that three-game stretch without Mixon, and Mixon gets hurt at the beginning of the Pittsburgh game, I think. P. Ryan's the RB2, RB9, RB6 with 28, 17, and 18 and a half points. I mean, that's better than a three-game stretch Mixon yeah, had. I was going to say. So, frustrating year if you're a Joe Mixon owner, even though he had probably the best running back game of the entire season. All right, Dalton, who, who's your last guy? Uh, I'm going to play a quick guessing game with you. of his total fantasy points came in the first six weeks of the season, and he finished fourth at his position. Can you guess who he is? (laughs) In the first six weeks? I can't guess who it is, but the guy I have next finished fourth at his position. But I I know it's not this guy. I don't – well, no, it's not this guy because his his big stretch was later in the season. So I don't know. I don't know who your guy is. It's Mark Andrews. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I we talked about it a little bit last week. This Lamar Jackson would have been a better get, but would have been a get, my guess if he actually finished as the QB four. This, I mean, it is disgusting mm-hmm. what he did to you. Uh, if he was that's drafted, why, that's why he was my LVP last week. Yeah, he was drafted ahead of Kelsey uh, by some people, and he was definitely right up there with Travis Kelsey. And the the tight end four finish is probably the most fraudulent finish of any player on this list because. Going from week seven onward, he has two top 10 finishes at tight end, which mm-hmm. is of like five points is sometimes a top 10 finish tight end. Yeah. Well, and, what I, what I say last week, I think week seven through 17, he was the tight end 15, something like that. Like over, for yeah. over half the season, he was the tight end 15. Yeah. He goes tight end 51, 23, 7, 11, 11, 23, 23, 18. And then he finishes the season at tight end five. 
I mean, that's not a league winner. He was being taken ahead of guys like sometimes Tyree Kill, sometimes A.J. Brown, T. Higgins, like guys who are actually winning you your leagues. Even Travis Etienne, who I mentioned earlier, would have been a better pick than him. Uh, it's did just, he go ahead of Saquon Barkley anywhere? Maybe if he drafted really early, like yeah. July, maybe he did. Yeah, like a, I mean, you could take draft him. in July. This is one of the few times where you should have just taken Mahomes or Josh Allen at the, yeah. the two, three turn instead of this guy. Yeah. Uh, he definitely like ruined roster constructions and is a real reason why you just shouldn't draft tight ends early, excluding the GOAT, Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we're looking back on the season and we notice that a lot of that, or at least half of that, is without Lamar Jackson. I mean, what's that going to look like next year? Because I don't know if Lamar Jackson's exactly going to be back in in Baltimore next season. So I think the long-term outlook for Andrews is pretty murky. And yeah, like he was my LVP for a reason last week. He absolutely murdered fantasy managers past week seven last year. Well, the locker room got less crowded for catching. He loses Devin Duvernay. He loses Rashad Bateman. And it's like, what are you doing? You're getting worse with that? Clearly... He's not a talented receiver at that level that he can dominate at, at like a complete alpha. Um, or they just weren't drawing the plays up for him. But either way, I think there needs to be some breaks pumped on where you take him next season, especially if you're looking at, at early tight end mm-hmm. as a consideration. Okay. This last guy, the breaks that, that I want pumped a little bit for next season. And just for us to remember uh, this season, this year's QB4. Can you guess who it is just based off of QB4? Is it Justin Fields? Yeah, it's Justin Fields. Oh, yeah, he, he 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 finishes the QB4, and I've already – I mentioned this to you in our in our chat the other day. I've already seen some uh, – is Justin Fields the QB1 in fantasy next year? Like in drafts, buzz starting on like YouTube videos and, and stuff, like really early content. And – whether he's in Chicago or he's elsewhere, like he's going to be really good for fantasy. Like probably take him QB4, QB5, QB6, somewhere in that range. Like Kyler Murray's out. Herbert, depending on who his offensive coordinator is, like you can make the argument for him above those type of guys, obviously Murray and, and Herbert too, for sure. But he was truly an elite option this year for five weeks. Weeks seven through 11, he was the QB1 overall, averaged 31.4 points per game. He had a, if you round up, a 43 and a 40-point game in that stretch. And his three others were all above 22. Like, he was unbelievable putting up video game rushing numbers in that stretch. But if you look at the other two large stretches of time that he played this season, weeks one through six, he's the QB21. Which, you know, you can make the argument like, well, you know, he he just got better. Like the offense clicked in weeks 7 through 11, which it obviously did. And it was better down the stretch, but still weeks 13 through 17 is the QB 14. So not that I'm saying that's where you should go next year. And not that I'm saying that's what you should remember him as this year. Because he was better than that. Because that week 7 through 11, like it counts. Like it counts towards his total. He was unbelievable in that stretch. I, I just think... He's going to have to make, we've talked about this, that Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts type of leap as a passer to validate the the QB1, QB2 type of hype that I think he's clearly going to get going in the next season now. And on top of that, if he is in Chicago or elsewhere, he just has to have better weapons to throw to. That would make things a lot easier as well. But like for me, 
you know, I, I see the list on Twitter where it's like the list of guys, like how many QB one games they had. And it went down to 10 QB one games. He, you know, he wasn't on that list. I just want a guy I'm considering a QB one or two overall to be a locked and loaded top 12 QB every week, obviously. And then like you want them to be a top five quarterback a lot because they have to have that major positional advantage for you to pay off that early pick. And I'm afraid we're going to get a little carried away with fields based on a, a good five week stretch, which it was good, but it was not so great at other points of the year. Well, there's a, there's a lot of problems. I feel like with the Justin Fields narrative, the first is we're getting a lot of, well, if you look at Josh Allen's first year and Jalen hurts first year, they were bad and they got better and we liked them because they could run. Uh, the difference is even for how bad and I've I've been an offseason truther of both of those guys mm. before they they really blew up. Their completion rates above expectation were not good, but Justin Fields is significantly worse as a passer than these players. And the second thing is Justin Fields a lot of the times was getting these rushing yards in games where the defenses were rolling out and Robert Mays on the Athletic Football podcast has an incredible job pointing this out that they were rolling out passing defenses because the Bears are down by 18 points. They're yeah. not spying the quarterback, and they're dropping eight guys back and saying, just run the ball and run the clock. And that's all Justin Fields would do. He was getting easy looks because they're going in man coverage against bad wide receivers, and that gives easy looks for rushing quarterbacks. Everybody knows that if you're in a man coverage, everybody's back or turned to the quarterback, and he gets more yards. Am I going to take away him being a 1,000-yard rusher? No, mm. but Lamar Jackson does those things, and Jalen Hurts does those things when they're his own coverages, and they get – real read options if you look up justin uh justin fields rush yards 70 percent of them were on scrambles ryan poles and company they weren't drawing up rush plays for him he was just taking off when it was available those things year to year are much less consistent and the the big jump you saw in josh allen and jalen hurts was an addition of an alpha like a real real top five wide receiver to those offenses yep. now the bears have the cap to do that maybe it's something they do but even then as a passer he leaves a lot to be wanted. And his biggest problem that he still has is he holds the ball way too long. And that's just going to kill you in the NFL. And then we don't even know if he's going to be in Chicago, for God's sakes. I, they could still take C.J. Stroud and let him go. Yeah, or or uh, Bryce. That, or that Bryce Young. That would be the other option, obviously. To Orwell Levis, who knows? Things could get, things, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of conversation between then and now. But, yeah, I Fields is good. And for fantasy – he is really, really, really good. I just don't want to elevate him to great yet until I see it for a longer stretch. And we we didn't yet this season. Um, any, yeah. Anything else before we move on to some playoff talk here? I mean, he'll be an off-season topic for us a lot, I'm sure. But I just oh, yeah. like really look at his passing stats and then ask yourself and then compare them to Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Jalen Hurts in their first years. And then ask yourself if you think he could make the same jump. And Lamar Jackson also had a, a trash supporting cast his first year. So, that, like, let's not just use that excuse everybody's throwing out there, that it was Dante Pettis and Darnell Mooney. Like, I just think Justin Fields has a lot of growth he needs as a passer, and I wouldn't be um, accommodating him as one. I saw a Dynasty take that he was the, the QB1 in Dynasty, which there's just there, there, there's just so much wrong with that. I, mean, yeah. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, and Dynasty... I think it goes not necessarily in order, and we just did the shunt too long ago, but I, I think ahead of him are Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, 
I'm still putting Herbert ahead of him in Dynasty. I'd put Hertz ahead and of I'd him. put Hertz ahead of him. And Kyler probably. I know he's injured. Right? Kyler off the ACL. I don't know. I I think he might. I I, I can I can see the argument either way. And maybe Kyler. even Trevor Lawrence now. Trevor right. Lawrence possibly, and like Lamar Jackson. We didn't say we, we you yeah. know we that there's love unknown yeah. there. So so yeah, I, I think we're just getting a little a little carried away with Fields, even even for for as much fun as he is, as much as I like him, like it it's a lot of fun seeing a quarterback take a freaking running back toss play. And, and run 20 yards like he he is the best rusher on that team and we like Khalil Herbert quite a bit and they like David Montgomery quite a bit so there's some other guys who can run the ball on that team but but Fields is the best rusher on that team no doubt absolutely all right divisional preview we can bring Johnny back in uh for this um an update on last week we were all five and one straight up um I went against my instinct just like last year i did this with the cardinals and it didn't work out it's like you know what it's just like you, everybody gets that feeling in their gut when everybody is on one side of something it's like it just it feels like i need to be on the other side somebody has to be on the other side i took the vikings didn't work out and, and then uh, you guys took the bucks as we all know that one didn't work out uh allegedly again grass <laughs> Against the spread, uh, I'm four and two. You guys are three and three. We obviously all of us missed on the Bengals and Bills games, both being uh, both being close. Uh, if Lamar had played, I think we all would have taken the Ravens to at least cover. So that's just a, that's a bad bad beat for us to have that not be a a cover. And, and then uh, you guys missed on the Bucks, and I actually had the Giants plus three. So that's that's the difference there. As I split, I split there, and we'll start with what I'm assuming will be the shortest of the games for us to talk about. And that's the first one, Jags at Chiefs. I'm sure we're all going to pick the Chiefs. Do, do we all have the Chiefs covering in this game? Dalton? Dalton's awfully quiet. Uh-oh, I, I I have the Chiefs covering. It's it's a minus eight and a half. I know, it's minus eight and a half. I, I'm taking the Jags to actually cover. Okay. Um. Wow. My, first of all, if the Chiefs don't, if the Chiefs blow them out by 28, I'll be very happy and I'll be like, fine. Like but emotional hedge. There's there's a lot of questions for me on how the special teams will lose this game for Kansas City. Um, and on the other side of it, Jamal Agnew has been a really good special like kick returner this offseason. And I'm just a little concerned our special teams is going to have a few of those blow it moments. Well, the it's kick also- return is like the one way – kick return and punt return is like the one way the special teams has yet to, to cost the Chiefs. It's been yeah, – That's why – It's, it's I'll been all the other stuff. Um, and then it's going to snow, and I can see Butker missing like two Gibby field goals where Andy Reid doesn't go for on fourth and one. Like th- that's really why I'm doing this. And if we go out and we blow them out, I'd be, I'll be okay taking this loss on the chest because I mm-hmm. think this is going to be a frustrating game and I don't want it to be. But you think Chiefs will still win, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we still win. Um, It's it's just a matter of I I don't think we win very prettily. And I also think there's a lot of momentum coming from Jacksonville. They probably feel really strong after what they did last week. It's possible. I mean, it's just it's always it's impossible to know how how that will play out because you can make the argument like, oh, they're they they're on top of the world after last week, they're rolling. And you could also say, well, they may still be on top of the world and they may have forgotten they still left, you know, like it, it, the argument can go both ways in that scenario. So yeah. it's hard to know which which will play out. 
Obviously. This is also I'm hedging against a backdoor cover against Andy Reid, who historically just lets off the gas. Like we go into the fourth quarter up 21 and they score two touchdowns. It's like just an outcome. I will game. say, just like thinking off the top of my head, the only to be very specific, the only divisional round game that Patrick Mahomes has not covered the spread in was when he got hurt and left the game early against the Browns. Every other divisional round game, they beat the Colts, I think 24 to 7. After being down 24-0, to they beat the Texans by many touchdowns, so that was obviously a cover. And then the Bills game last year, I think they were favored by a point and a half. I went back and looked at our document last year, so that that was a cover in overtime, obviously. Is this Uh, the biggest, other than the Colts game, the biggest spread? Well... Uh, I would bet that Texan spread was was pretty big. The, the well, they had lost. I felt like they were a little. They had watched at that was point, like and that was in Houston. Wasn't pretty it? big too. That that was wild. That was wild card weekend uh, last oh, year. Okay. Bills was divisional okay. uh, last year. So I, I will say, even though I have eight and a half, the the better play here is to find another game you like and and tease this line down a little bit. Get it to less than a touchdown. Get it to where a field goal uh, make or miss by Butker may you know isn't going to probably swing your day if you can get it down to six and a half like I, that would be my actual play for the purposes of this though i am taking the chiefs and i'll tell you why um i'll tell I, you what i i was listening to times ours a, a chiefs podcast obviously and nate taylor chief writer for the athletic he just kind of made the quick kind of Side comment at the end of the podcast when they were nearing the conclusion. You know what the Jacksonville Jaguars defense has struggled with all season? Eye discipline. Eye discipline and defending like motion plays. Like, you know, like plays like like that. It's like, okay. Well, Interesting. Good luck against the Chiefs then. If I mean, we remember uh, the first time they played. Obviously, the Jags are playing a lot better than the first time. So I don't want to take everything that happened there and just carry it over to this game. That, that's not that that's not going to be probably how it goes. But remember, Tony was so wide open, he was screaming at Patrick Mahomes, you know, motioning out of the backfield and was able to hop down the sideline. That, that, that's the example that, that pops to mind um, about that. And then just, like, looking back at that game, again, it's not going to happen the same way just because the Chiefs won by 10 then. They're not going to win by 10 this time. But on their way to winning by 10, they, number one, accidentally elected to receive the kick when they never do that. The guy just got it wrong, then proceeded to get onside kicked on the first play of the game by Doug Peterson. So they're not going to get caught off guard that way. Again, you wouldn't think Um, Isaiah Pacheco fumbled deep in chiefs or deep on a touchdown drive. Probably it was like in the red zone on a run. Uh, Jody Fortson fumbled a kick return. That was a squib. And the Jaguars, I, I believe, missed a field goal off of that, but still a turnover. And then Mahomes threw a late interception that then led to the Jaguars' touchdown when they were down 17. So the Chiefs, for all intents and purposes, had four turnovers. You know, the Jaguars had five and, and won the other day. The Chiefs had basically four turnovers and won that game by 10 points and easily could have been 17 and kind of let their foot off the gas. I, I know the Jags are playing better. I just think the Chiefs are a better team, and we usually see a uh, – more sophisticated play sheet in in the playoffs from the Chiefs than we do in the regular season. So I, I just think they're going to unveil some stuff, and and they'll be too much for a young Jags team that I'm sure will be throwing the kitchen sink at the Chiefs, going for every fourth down they can. Like I'm expecting probably a fake punt, 
fake field goal, like one of those two. Like it, it's going to be a kitchen sink game from Doug Peterson because he onside kicked it in week 10 on the first play of the game. Like it's going to be crazy, but I, I still think the Chiefs cover this one. Over under um, five fourth down attempts by the Jags. Like I'll say going for it on fourth down. I'll say under just because most games you don't really get that many real opportunities at a fourth down. Like it, if they go, if they, it, I'll say this, if they top that number, they are either winning that game or losing by multiple touchdowns and are in desperation mode. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's not it, a real line. I just definitely made it up. Well, I mean, but if they had one, but I, I mean, they're going to go for a lot on fourth down. Like yeah. I, it's going to be an annoying game. Yeah, no matter what, yeah. because they're going to play us like the Bills played us. Where well, and, and, and it's like that, just number one, maybe should tell some people something about going for it versus not going for it on fourth downs. It makes it harder when you have to stop a team for four plays than three. Like, just say it. Just say it. All is right. that math? That, that is math. Uh, very loose math, but math. Anything else on this game before we move? I'm good. I do expect Christian Kirk to have a big game if you're betting anything. I don't yeah, know. He had over 100 yards and two touchdowns in their first matchup. So yeah. that would probably be a pretty safe bet. All right. Bengals at Bills. Bills on an eight game winning streak. We're just going out of order here, Chief? Yeah, I'm going out of order. Why not? <laughs> I'm going to AFC first, then the NFC. <laughs> Bengals at Bills. Bills on eight game winning streak. Bengals on a nine game winning streak. Dalton. Well, that's – I mean, there's a no contest in there for both teams. I, I feel mean, like we're a little, little suspect. No, we're not doing that. Give me your take, Dalton, on this game. I mean, okay, first of all, the line is surprising. Bills minus five was not mm-hmm. my expectation. I, do, I know the Bengals – I think it even opened at like minus six and quickly got bet down to the four and a half five range, which I wish I got it at minus six. I should probably go get it while it's still five because I we we all think the Bengals cover. I'm assuming, right? Like, yeah, no, I'll take Bengals plus five. Johnny Bengals plus five. Yep. Okay. Um, My problem with this game is both these teams didn't look good. In the wild card weekend, like oh, yeah. they, they they both had their own flaws. Like Cincinnati couldn't convert a third down to save their life, and one on like one of the craziest fumble recoveries I've seen. Like Mar- like Harrison's fumble recoveries up there with how crazy that one was. And then Josh Allen like went mega Josh Allen and just decided to play not like in the trash. Good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. In the good bad. <laughs> Josh Allen is an emotional roller coaster to watch play football. And last week, I don't think they had any ups for for that team. And then it did. They were just like all in the first eight minutes of the game, like first yeah. 10 minutes of the game. And then on the other side of this, you're looking at the Bengals, who their offensive line now again looks like it did last season. This and- is the third week in a row the Bengals have lost a starter. So they're now down three starters on, like I said earlier, was already the 28th ranked offensive line per PFF uh, during the regular season. Yeah, you don't like to see that. Shout out and Hakeem Adeniji getting the start at right tackle from the uh, for the Jayhawks now Bengals this week. Rock chalk. There's also Kwame Lasseter and Buka on that team, so they yep. have three Jayhawks. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just don't like either team. I'm picking the Bills to win the game too, uh, because I think they're healthier and their pass rush can get to Joe Burrow. Um, but in the end, I am a little. 
I'm not as excited about this game as I was last week after watching both teams play horribly in the wild card round, in my opinion. Johnny? Yeah, I'm going I'm going Bills too. I just feel like the Bengals are so banged up and I just feel like the Bills is just on the team of destiny, just doing it for DeMar. I, I feel like they just aren't gonna lose this game, but it's gonna be a pretty close whoever has the ball last kind of will win the game, one possession mm-hmm. game and I think Bills like win by three. And Johnny does have the Bills in the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, I mean but but to be fair, like we we have the right to to change that pick throughout the playoffs. Like if you want to pick against that team, obviously you can. But yeah, I figured Johnny was probably going Bills. I I think I'm going Bengals here. I'm going Bengals straight up. I said that I was probably going to last week. The left tackle getting hurt and not playing this week obviously throws a wrench into things. But Dalton, you mentioned the Bills pass rush. How about this stat for you with Von Miller? The Bills ranked fourth in the NFL in pressure rate with four pass rushers or less. You want to take a guess at where they rank since the Von Miller injury? 16th. Any guesses, Johnny? Uh, 24. 27th in the NFL in pressure rate with four or less guys since Von Miller went down. Like, I know the offensive line is a concern, but – I mean, it's been a concern even with those guys getting hurt. Like, I think they're, they've they proven to be so good with the quick passing game that, yeah, it's not how you would like to play with T. Higgins and, and uh, Jamar Chase. Like, if I, have, you, have you looked at Jamar Chase's route tree from last week? No, is it sad? It's hilarious <laughs> and, yes, sad. And part of it is because it's the Ravens, which we talked about this last week in, in that preview. Like, Burrow had played two of his worst games against the Ravens because they take away – the deep stuff that he likes to do and really makes them go underneath. I'm going to try and share my screen here and get that's his route tree. Look at all those uh, sticks, all those curls, nothing past 20 yards last week. That's it was uh, for, for a guy who's like the ultimate downfield weapon. That's what they had to play last week. That's the way they're probably playing this week, but I don't know, man. I, I just, something feels off with this bills team to me, like they've had three straight weeks of three turnovers. And if they do, if, if they even have multiple turnovers, I think the Bengals are six and oh in games where they force two or more turnovers this season. Like if the bills turn this out, like this feels like to me, it's going to come down to turnovers. And that makes me very nervous for the bills who like were turning it over a lot in the last couple of games. And Allen leads the NFL in total turnovers this year with, I believe, 19, if you include fumbles. Obviously, we know Dak. Josh Allen, leave him alone. <laughs> Obviously, we know Dak led the league in total interceptions, but the fumbles snuck up with uh, with Allen. I was reading the the Bills beat writer report from that game, just like a seven things on The Athletic, and there seems to be some real concern in Buffalo with their offensive coordinator, uh, Ken Dorsey, and, and mainly – what came to a head last week is him making adjustments or kind of lack thereof. Basically you said the Dolphins start, which we all saw this, the Dolphins started the game last week um, blitzing like every, every play blitzing, like a- as often as they could, it felt like, and it wasn't working. And then they started really mixing it up. They were dropping guys in coverage and blitzing very, very, very infrequently. But it completely flummoxed the Bills 
Like Josh Allen completed only half of his passes against the rush of four or fewer players from the second quarter on last week on his 20 throws against non blitzes. He averaged 17.9 yards per attempt on his 10 incompletions. He was 25.6 air yards on those attempts. Like check it down, man. Oh my God. Like check it down. <laughs> like, like the bills were clearly puzzled by that adjustment. I mentioned Diggs only had one target in the second half because the dolphins just were like, okay, we're going to take away Stefan Diggs. Like I know the Bengals secondary isn't exactly a beacon of, uh, of health right now with now Eli Apple hurt and just their secondary hasn't been playing especially well of the last couple of weeks. Like the Ravens threw the ball decently well last week. That wouldn't be a great sign to me if you're facing the bills, but I just, when it comes down to it, I trust this Bengals team more than the bills right now. And I think this is like Johnny said, going to be a, who has the ball last situation. And I just think the bills are more primed to make that killer mistake than the Bengals are. Yeah, par- so there's a couple things. First, it is interesting that uh, the four rushers are affecting Josh Allen, which is also uh, PTSD time. Mm-hmm. How the Bengals have beat the Chiefs three times yes. in a row is they use four rushers. Uh, the one we know, we know the Bengals are very adept at that. Yes, yeah, so that that brings a little pause. The one caveat to that I, with the Miami game is I think the Bills for most of the game felt like they're going to win. And they weren't using Josh Allen as a runner at all. He had two design rushes the entire game. They both came in the fourth quarter when it was like, oh, we might actually lose the game. And that I think that does affect the four-man rush when Josh Allen's able to use his legs like that. Um, but I'm definitely concerned. It's just I can see Josh Allen having the three-turnover game, and I can also see him going out and going 28 for 31 for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, and – I just like that range of outcomes better, and I think the Bills' defense is is a little stouter than the Bengals at this point when you look at the, the I don't know, man. Everybody is moving the ball up and down the field on the Bills lately. Have you noticed that? Like there have been no break. Like the, the Patriots move the ball up and down the field. The Patriots. The Jets only didn't. other – the only yeah, the Jets. Bears didn't. The, the only <laughs> other team that the Patriots really did that to this season – was the Vikings, who have a terrible defense as well. Like, the Bengals' defense has not been good. I know – I think they're they're maybe going to get Micah Hyde back this week. So, if that does happen, that that would be – that'd be a boost. But the, the series or, or the sequence that I just have engraved into my head outside of the turnovers is, you know, they get a ball, a pretty key drive late in the game. First down, deep shot to Gabe Davis, overthrown. Second down with Gabe Davis clearly tired and clearly nothing else there was. What does Josh do? Deep shot to Gabe Davis again. And that's also probably partially the offensive coordinator's fault for like, hello, man, like make an adjustment, call a different play, like give us something that where we can just get six or seven yards maybe. And he overthrows them and then the bills are off the field. Like I, I just, I just have concerns with this team, with the turnovers, with the, ability to adjust like the Bengals proved last year that they can give really good quarterbacks problems by just dropping a lot of guys and and being a stout run defense and the Bengals are a stout run defense like I don't think Devin Singletary is going to be going off for 90 yards and and giving the Bills a big boost in this game so I it's a toss-up home field matters a lot I, I just trust the Bengals more at this point yeah I think that's the biggest difference is I still trust the Bills more um, 
I think the Bills were in more control of that Miami game than the the Bengals were in control of that Baltimore game. I don't know, man. I don't know. Neither team was really in very great control. But... I know, but they, they only scored 24 points, and one of them was seven given to them by that Tyler Huntley trying to, to stretch across. Like, I feel like you got to score more on the Baltimore Ravens than that, especially when they're rolling out Tyler Huntley. Yeah, but again, we, you know, the Ravens had been a tough matchup for, for the Bengals the first two times. So not shocking to see them kind of struggle um, offensively a little bit in that game. I digress. Uh, you guys have, have Bills straight up, Bengals cover. I have Bengals cover, Bengals straight up. And that will probably be my most anticipated game of the weekend outside being a Chiefs fan. Of course, uh, Giants at Eagles. This one is Eagles minus seven and a half. And I got to tell you, the old Giants, uh, good teams win, great teams cover. They did both last week. I don't think they're doing both this week, but they looked pretty good last week. And I think I'm pretty comfortable in going with an Eagles win and a Giants cover in this scenario. Like I, th- I think this one stays within one touchdown. The Vikings defense, I know, I just mentioned, it, it is very bad. It, it's quite bad. But I was legitimately impressed with, with Daniel Jones last week. Like he played well. He was great as a rusher. I just like if you're talking about them winning the game, I can't get there with their lack of weapons. Like they're not going to go win this game. And he is going to have to make plays in more adverse situations this week because of the pass rush, because of just the better secondary, everything. But I think this is a very, very, very well-coached team. This is a very confident team, and they're a dangerous team because, you know, what's the one way we've seen this team get beaten this year with Jalen Hurts in the lineup? It's when the Washington commanders just grinded them into the ground with a running game with Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Like it, I don't think it's going to happen, but is it in the range of outcomes for Saquon and Daniel Jones to, to do something like that and make this game very close? Yeah, I, I think so. And that's kind of where I'm at. I wish I could snapshot the first three sentences out of your mouth talking about Daniel Jones and show them to Evan from August of 2022 <laughs> it, and it, just it's see. Amazing. see um, uh, I'm taking the Eagles to cover and I'm taking the Eagles to win, obviously. Uh, just on, on a note of the Washington game, the, the Eagles didn't have Jordan Davis, who's like mm-hmm. their premier run stuffer. And he is obviously healthy for this game. Um, a couple of things here. One, my favorite country artist, Zach Bryan, promised he would release a new song. Uh, if the Eagles won, because he's a huge Eagles fan. So, yeah, but he didn't say they had the cover, did he? You know, maybe they cover and he doubles down. <laughs> like, you don't know. He could, he could at least two songs. So, taking them. Uh, but the same thing, like, the Eagles are entirely healthy. Like, even Jalen Hurts is off the injury report. This team got bogged down by injuries to end the season and still finished pretty well. Uh, I know. Can, can I just say, like, I know Hurts is off the injury report. One of my questions for this game, though, is like, is Hertz truly unleashed like he was before? Like, is he running the read option? Is he keeping? Is he is he getting that that ten rushing attempts in a game? Because he, he clearly, you know, I don't know if I don't know if he wasn't able to do that in Week 18 or if they just didn't want to do that in Week 18 against backups. But that that is just a question mark because we we don't know. We haven't seen him run like that since he got hurt. Yes. But I do have faith in uh, – you talked about the skill position players, the New York Giants. I have a lot of faith in the 
uh, Eagles not letting Isaiah Hodgins, who joined. Look, man, that guy is like legitimately pretty good. He went nine for 93 to touchdown and he started playing football for them in week 12. I'm not saying he's not good. Look, I'm saying look, like, what's, they're, what's they're, more, come on, what, hold on. What's more impressive that or Kenny Galladay getting on the field and pancaking somebody like, like Kenny, hello, like Kenny Galladay making plays out there. Well, that's how he knows the well-coached team. And I just have to believe they're not going to let Daniel Jones run for almost 100 yards. They're gonna they're gonna put a spy on him if they have to. I think the defensive side of the ball is coached better. And Nick Sirianni, if we weren't seeing Brian Dabble do the impossible with this Giants team, I think Nick Sirianni probably is the other front runner for coach of the year in a very crowded pool. Yeah, with what he's it, done for the but Eagles. But it should be Dabble. It, it should. Oh, be. absolutely. I don't disagree the, with that. The, the, this team made. No free agent acquisitions of of any kind. They went into the season. They're thinking, okay, they're going to be cutting guys. They're going to have like Kenny Galladay, you know, weighing down their cap. It's like this is a transition year. You know, once we get to 2023, 24, like this team can maybe start making some moves, taking some steps forward. This is just a transition year. Let's get going in the right direction. Like, no, this is a legitimate playoff team, which by the way, you know, every time the Giants make the playoffs now, they just go to the Super Bowl, right? Like every time they win a game in the playoffs, they haven't won a playoff game before now in t- since 2011. Are you, you're doing like my Tom Brady thing from last week. <laughs> um, so I'm not taking the win, just to cover seven and a half. If this just comes, like I think both coaching staffs are incredibly talented. It's just that the Eagles coaching staff also has incredibly talented players, top to bottom on both sides of the ball. And the Giants really don't have talented players. Um, no offense to them. Sure. Or, to anybody who plays football for them, but Saquon Barkley and nobody else is is the talent profile. This well, game. I don't know. Um, uh, Lawrence Dexter. Okay, Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence. Yes, Dexter that guy Lawrence. is flat out incredible. Uh, our guy Jason Kelsey is going to have himself not 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 a fun day on the interior against him. Did you see his mic'd up? By the way, have you watched? Talk about Pilates. And Eddie tells their center that uh, that you're hugging me more than my girlfriend. Like mm-hmm. like after a play, he, he's the best. Um. I do wonder, and Johnny, I'll let you get get your take off in a minute here. I wonder what the record is against the spread and just straight up for that matter. Like, let's just go from the favorites perspective of a divisional matchup, like for the third time in the playoffs. I mean, not not to say that just because we saw it last week, it's going to happen again this week, but we just saw two divisional matchups that were a lot closer than we thought last week. And I, I, you just wonder about seeing a team a third time. Like, it's it's just tough to play a team that many times in a season. Yeah, but we also saw the the Niners play the Seahawks for the third time yeah, last no, week. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't know. I would just be curious, like, to know. I Maybe I'll have to Google this later. It just kind of came to me now. Like, I just wonder what the record against the spread, I'll, I'll say, is for the favorite in those matchups because it – it to me feels like it, it always, you know, it feels like it favors the underdog to get a th- like it, who has lost twice to get a third shot at that team. Yeah. Well, and then week 18's weird in and of itself. Uh, the Giants didn't play anybody. Davis Webb played. The Eagles did play guys. And I mean, if you're, if you are trying to count your, your eggs on this one, that might be beneficial to the Giants having seen the Eagles twice. And technically, the Eagles have seen the Giants once. Johnny, I see that you've already put in the dock. You've got Eagles and Eagles, so let's hear it. Yep, I, I think Jalen's going to kind of let it rip. 
I, I think he's just going to be exactly what we saw. Probably not like full before injury, but I, I think he's going to look sharp and good against the Giants defense. And uh, I think this, the, I think the Eagles are going to backdoor cover. Uh, I think they're going to be up seven kind of the whole game, play pretty close, and last minute and just kind of like four or five minutes left, kick a field goal, go up ten, and then just kind of close it out. Very possible. The one thing you always worry about with the Eagles in like a big home game is if things aren't going well and then that crowd turns against them, like things can go really strong in a certain direction, good or bad for the Eagles in any given home big game. So that that's just something to watch out for on both sides. Like you, it wouldn't surprise me if this was a three touchdown game or if the Eagles are down by four points with a minute left with the ball. You know, I could see, I could easily see either one of those scenarios playing out. Okay. I think we saved what is probably not the best game in my mind, but this will be the most talked about game because it's Brock Purdy. It's the Niners. And then we've got the Cowboys like that, like that'll, it'll be the most talked about game, the most bet on game. I'm sure of any of these. Uh, this is Cowboys at 49ers, I believe. Uh, I checked it again tonight. It is still Niners three and a half. Last I saw, Johnny, I'll kick it to you on uh, your take on this game to start. Yeah, I'm riding Niners pretty high. I think Niners win. I think Niners cover. I, I think Brock Purdy definitely overcame a lot after he just played horrendous in that first half. I, he looked as bad as I've probably remind me of like what he looked like in at Iowa State. He he was jittery for sure. He was he was missing throws. He was definitely jittery. Yep. And then I think he just came back pretty perfectly. The coaching staff kind of put him in the right position with the right plays with Debo and just kind of get got him more comfortable to make the right plays, make the right checkdowns. And I I just don't think the Cowboys can do what they did last week with this 49ers defense. Dalton yeah, no, I'm solidly taking the 49ers to cover. Uh, this is a, this is the most absurd line of the weekend. In my really? So I, I don't think it's absurd. I think it's a pretty good line. Wow. Uh, well, few things. One, uh, a third of Brock Purdy's passes last week were to people who had five yards of separation. Like this, Kyle Shanahan is giving him some incredibly easy looks. And at the same time, I already see – a sluggo route for Debo Samuel when he's guarded by Trayvon Diggs. And because it's Brock Purdy, Trayvon Diggs is going to jump the route and Debo Samuel is going to get an 80-yard touchdown. I'm calling that now. Um, ready to bet on that. And then the, the the strengths of this Cowboys defense really are Micah Parsons and it's really well neutralized by probably the like a top five offensive line and more importantly, Trent Williams for the 49ers. So I, do, I don't know how often Micah Parsons is going to be able to get home. And then Circle of wagons, boys. Do you know what kind of field the San Francisco 49ers play on? <laughs> Nobody circles the wagons like Dalton talking about grass. Because it's a grass field. And, you know, you could be an outlier once, and that's because the Bucks were incredibly bad. This Niners team is not incredibly bad. So, Cowboys, two and four on grass fields. Two and four. And worst part about all of this, I think it's funny that this got airtime on on the broadcast yeah, last week, and, and 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 they were laughing about it. And you know, I thought McCarthy actually did kind of make a what I thought was a solid point, which is like, well, when we play our home games on turf, yeah, we're probably going to have a worse record on grass. <laughs> 
Um, like it's fair. But my last and final point, and I do think this is important. Uh, they played Monday night on the East Coast, and they have to travel to the West Coast for a sudden. Like they have less rest. They're they're going to be traveling cross country, mm. and those do impact teams, which is one of the reasons why I'm confidently taking plus three and a half. Because yeah. the fact really the, think- the fact that this is the the fact that the Niners played the first game yeah. and were you know had a chance to play the winner of the last game. Like I, I know it's a schedule. I know there's like no way to predict because like they probably thought the Vikings were gonna win, I guess, but like it, it just like the fact this is why we shouldn't have Monday games. We shouldn't have teams playing with you know two days difference in rest. Yeah. And then I just I really don't want to bet on Dak Prescott. Um like last week was his first ever four touchdown game in the playoffs, and Brock Party had four touchdowns his first game of the playoffs. Same thing, in my opinion. So I am taking the Niners to win the game. Please don't take the Cowboys. <laughs> Please don't. Like, I just can't respect you as a better if you take the Cowboys. I, I, I took them last week and they won. What I know. And first win in 25 years? All right. We'll be quick and then we'll you, get out of here. You're just giving the book their money back that they won last week. Yeah. I'm taking the Niners to cover as oh well. But I had to think about this pretty long and pretty hard. Like, I don't think the line is going to tilt more than the Niners' favor because people are just going to bet on the Cowboys because that's just what happens. They're the most public team in the in the biggest league in, in America. Like, they're probably going to stay at three and a half. But, like, if this were to get to four and a half, I think I would take the Cowboys. Like, if, if we could get this another another point. Like, I do think this will be a close game. You guys mentioned Purdy. Johnny, you mentioned that, that he didn't really play well in the first half. If you guys haven't read it, you should go check it out. Uh, Tim Wynn for The Athletic wrote, what I thought was a great piece this week, really breaking down Purdy's performance. And the conclusion, as Johnny kind of alluded to, is that Purdy was not nearly as good as his insane numbers indicated. Now, not to say he was bad, not to say he himself was bad, but there were guys open, like you mentioned, all in space, all game. Whether it was Debo on that deep cross, Debo breaking a million tackles for an 80-yard touchdown run, like CMC doing CMC things, like, they like Shanahan is scheming his ass off right now. And it was fully on display last week. His completions above expected were actually, it was actually at a negative 0.5. So he was slightly below what was expected of him last week in terms of what was actually out on the field for him to gain. Basically like even if this situation is probably the most ideal quarterback situation you can find, He's still like he's still playing pretty well though. Like by and large, I think he's still playing pretty well. I think we can all agree he's a pretty good player, and the Niners can definitely win with him as their quarterback. Like where he stands apart from Jimmy G is with three or more seconds in the pocket, he is toward the top of the NFL. So basically, like he can freelance a little bit. Jimmy G was 24th this year, and like Purdy at least gives them a little bit of an added dimension. What I do worry about at some point is if the Shanahan scheme isn't enough, like if Purdy just has to start making some plays. And I think that's possible in a game with Micah Parsons on the defensive line. I just don't trust the Cowboys secondary enough to make that happen. And I do think like the Niners defense will probably make some plays against Dak. Like that'll probably happen. And that's why I'm taking the Niners to cover. You're taking the Niners to cover? Yeah, I said Niners to cover at the beginning. Interesting. I really thought you were going to go Dallas here. 
No, I, I said at the beginning Niners to cover, but I just want to lay out the case as to why like it's close. I think it's going to be a close game. I I don't feel incredibly confident in, in this line like, like you do. Oh, uh, the Niners have the best rush defense, and mm-hmm. I there's just part of me that just knows McCarthy and Co. are going to go out there. And for four drives, we're going to see Zeke get four carries. That really didn't happen. Tony got more carries last week. I know, which is why it's going to happen this week. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, if they shut down that explosive run game, it's really just CeeDee Lamb that we have to worry about doing well. I I thought it was interesting that Aikman opened up that game basically saying that it needs to be Pollard getting more touches than Zeke. So it's like, well, if Aikman is saying this on TV... I bet he's been telling Jerry Jones this in in private channels, like, "Hey, man, you need to get this guy the ball more than Zeke." Like, I I, yeah. I, I think that's probably been happening. It, it for the sake of Cowboys fans, I hope so. Uh, but I think this is a more well coached team. You both frozen, so I paused. Uh, I think this is a more well coached team. When you're frozen, it means I'm frozen. Um, we can still hear you the whole time, so you're, oh, you're good. good. I think it's a more well coached team. Uh, top to bottom, I think defensively they're going to give them fits, and I think there's like Dak Prescott is going to absolutely get obliterated on national television Sunday night. I think it's going to be a, a all out just terrible case for Dak, and we're going to walk away asking ourselves like we're at the start of the season if this guy really should be getting paid franchise quarterback money. So if I gave you an alt line of uh, Seahawks minus nine and a half, what would you take? Dallas? Take you that? No, Seahawks minus nine and a half. Seahawks, or Seahawks, geez, 49ers. I was thinking oh. of the line last week. Seahawks, 49ers, 49ers minus nine and a half. You could probably make pretty good money if you bet that in one. I would, I like it. I'm gonna look that up after this. <laughs> I, I legitimately, and I've had this standpoint since the start of the, the season, I just don't believe in this Dallas Cowboys team, and I still don't. And I think I think they they're have... a good team. Like they're twelve and five. I think they're a good team that is just prone to some Cowboys things. But the Cowboys, what they don't usually do is get blown out in the playoffs. What they usually do is things like last year, where they lose a close game because something incredibly dumb happens to them. Yes, like running the ball with no timeouts left and ten yes. seconds on the clock. Um, no, I think I would probably take the, ten, the nine and a half. I don't think this is going to be a terribly close game. See, and like I, I will look up that alternate line. Like this isn't like my favorite. Like this is probably the the game that I'm staying away from the most of any of them. But you know, if I want, like, I don't hate doing a a little NFC East uh, underdog action here and going like Ew. Giants plus ten and a half and Cowboys plus six and a half. Parlay that, I bet you could get like plus one hundred NFC beast. Three of the four in the division still playing. All right, we're going to go look at these odds. John, do you have anything else to say while I look at this odd? No. Dalton, you have about 10 seconds to find it, and if not, we're closing. Finding an alternate spread is harder than I thought. No, it's not. It should literally take you less than 20 seconds. If, Two, I, if I beat you to this, one. hold on, hold on. Let, let me Give me a chance. All right, you have a 15-second extension. So I can take... John, I need your help here. Yeah, no, I can't find it either. It only it only goes to like I know. Minus Well, 
Yeah, we can. You, you, the user, can look this up on your own. Uh, Niners minus nine and a half. That is uh, the Dalton. It's plus 198. That's not even that good. That's plus odds. Betting on the Niners, plus, plus odds. odds. That is going to do it for episode 99 of the Half Wumper Podcast. We're going to be at 100 next week talking yeah. about uh, the AFC and NFC championship games. Hopefully it is a Chiefs preview for show number 100 next week give us a follow on twitter instagram and tiktok at half point per pod we've been known to old takes exposed uh ourselves on there as of late link to all of those things in the show notes as always the show is available anywhere you listen to your podcast spotify apple all of that good stuff we will talk to you guys with what should be a very fun preview next week and hopefully looking back on a very fun weekend of football this week thank you for listening and talk to you all very soon 